With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. everybody happy thanksgiving week and welcome to episode 35 of the pinstripe or the bomber brothers podcast part of the pinstripe valley community of podcasts sean and ryan continuing to take you through the off season and sean finally something to talk about because the yankees made a blockbuster trade since we last recorded are you talking about trading away nestor cortez or trading for zach granite uh both i guess (laughs) Nice. Yes. Yeah, so well, yeah, that's really gotten my blood, uh, my blood pumping. Oh yeah, it's officially hot stove season. Well, I mean, things have gotten off to a faster start than I thought. I mean, the the Braves and the White Sox are certainly not shying away from making moves, and you got to get the feeling that that Cashman's just kind of waiting in the waters to pounce on something, and. Um, I mean, I'm going to miss Cortez. I thought he did a nice job with the Yanks. I mean, we talked about it last week with the DFA, but um, I I think his value, it's one of those things that was, um, the numbers didn't really dictate his value to the team. And very rarely do I really think that is true. I would say the only two Yankees that I think were more valuable than their numbers say are are DD and and Cortez Jr. from last season anyway. But... um, yeah, I mean, you know, we got that coveted international bonus slot money, which oh, got yeah. us Jason Dominguez, which is, you know, he looks like a major leaguer and he's 16 years old, so that's good. But we got some more money to spend, and then, um, yeah, they they got a, a depth outfielder, which the Twins are, and I guess we could talk about a little bit the Fangraphs event we attended last Thursday because I thought some interesting things were said at that. One of them being that the Yankees are, you know, pretty coveted for how smart they are. And uh, I think the Twins are a pretty relatively advanced organization. Just judging by the way they have their team constructed, it's not something I would, uh, you know, it's not Mariners or or Rockies-esque. Um, so, you know, I don't know I don't know if, if they think they have anything in this guy or it's maybe just a guy on a minor league deal with some, some depth. So we'll see. Yeah, never know with never know with Cashman and the Yankees what becomes of some of these seemingly minor trades that don't move the needle at all. Talkman, like, like Mike Talkman, yeah, exactly. Gio Urshela, minor league deal. 
Yeah. So anyway, but um, yeah, so th- those were the two things. And then the only other news of the week, which is actually pretty significant, I would think, is the Yankees hired a minor league female hitting coach. And she, I believe she's the first uh, female hitting coach in, in um, professional baseball, so albeit the minor leagues. And she worked for the Astros, which probably, you know, she probably is going to tell all the Yankee minor leaguers how to cheat. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, it's a really cool story. She has two master's degrees. So um, just, you know, I only have one and damn near killed me. So I'm pretty, pretty envious of that. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> she speaks Spanish and, um, uh, you know, she has worked with driveline and everything. So she, she checks all the boxes for a modern hitting coach. And it's cool to see. Um, the Yankees expanding their talent pool by two by including both genders. So um, multiplying the, you know, increasing the the um, candidates by a hundred percent never a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, it's I think it's a I think it's a great thing that the organization did one that um, came at a good time because the organization's been kind of I don't know personally kind of annoying lately with all this Ellsbury stuff and. Oh yeah, over just a few million dollars. I don't know. I don't know what you think. Like, obviously, obviously, Jacoby Ellsbury was a terrible contract, but this just seems silly. Like, just you signed a terrible deal, just pay him his money and move on. Like, you've been, they've been hiding Ellsbury for the past two years, and now that they want to try to cut out a coupon and save. 10 million or something like that now they're willing to kind of thrust this back into the spotlight over this and and i mean i don't know just just reading rosenthal's report the other day about like what exactly this grievance is about that he sought medical help from from elsewhere and which was like treated to just try to reduce inflammation and things like that like i don't know this just seems really silly to me i don't even know why they would go through this all for just to save a, a, what in the scheme of things is pocket change. I guess they think it'll not count against this competitive balance tax, I'm going to assume, and that's part of their motivation. But I, I don't know. I mean, if Ellsbury really saw this doctor and took some steroids or something like that, then then I think they'll come out not looking too bad because it'll seem like, no, we don't want our players doing this, and this is why, blah, blah, blah. They'll, they'll, have, a, they'll have a spin they could go by. Now, if this turns out to be a wild goose chase and nothing comes up from it and if they then they really seem petty so if they really have a smoking gun so to speak and, and they have some solid evidence that Ellsbury did seek um treatment that he shouldn't have been seeking then I'll think differently of it but for right now I mean I agree with you it seems petty and I thought um what Lindsay said on the fan graphs thing was that uh Cashman had told Ellsbury to stay home because he so he, they didn't have to give him a per diem yeah. <laughs> so that that was pretty funny. Yeah, that but, was. But um funny. anyway. Um so yeah, that that seems a little iffy and then obviously, you know, the Chapman extension has so there's there's been some there's been some things this postseason that kind of makes your stomach turn, but the the Ellsbury thing I'll I'll withhold judgment until I see how it plays through. Uh, um you know, the Yankees actually gave out a lot of postseason shares this year, which is great. Um, after the debacle last year. So congrats to all the people that got the postseason shares that helped behind the scenes that got screwed last year. Yeah, 114 grand a piece, I think. That obviously for some lower level staffers is, is huge. So that's that's great. That I think um, I think I read that they sh- um, 
distributed to more people than anyone else in the league. And last year, they were the lowest number of people split within the league. So it's it makes good you for think, them to make like, that change. Yeah. I, I hope David Roberts is not as a bad guy as he's seeming right <laughs> now because he seemed like such a good guy to root for. Yeah. And definitely gifable. I mean, that's that much is clear. <laughs> um. So anyway, so we were. Do you have anything else of what's going on? Because really, I, I mean, I saw the report that the Angels are going to go all out for Cole, but I mean, teams would be stupid not to go all out for Cole. So I'm not too worried about that. No, yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing this yet. <laughs> I don't have the energy or the mental well, capacity to go through these tweets that long-winded ways of just saying what we already know, like uh, the. The Angels are expected to go all out for Garrett Cole, who could prefer the West Coast, but the Yankees still in on him. It's like, all right. What? Well, the, yeah, the, the Yankees, it's, it's going to come down to money. I mean, it's the same, like Sabathia said, if you give him enough money, then he'll go wherever. Um, you know, I'm paraphrasing. But, you know, what we went to the um, Fangraphs Live, the effectively wild taping on Thursday, which was a ton of fun. I mean, I, I had a good time beginning to end. You know, everybody that podcast or works for fan graphs seems really nice really knowledgeable really funny and then you had Lindsay and mark there from the athletic um and who, mike petriello you know, from mlb.com another great, right another great yeah. baseball mind yeah just tons of knowledge and you know tons of first-hand knowledge of the team and i thought one of the most telling things and Lindsay kind of kicked it off was saying that the yankees know that now is the time to go for it which was encouraging to me because last year didn't seem like this was the time. And I thought, and Mark said the Yankees will get Garrett Cole. He actually said that if you go back and listen, because yeah, I he heard was, it live he and I got so stoked like, about it. I sat up, he's like, you know, the Yankees are going to go get Cole. And I'm like, all right. Like Mark and Lindsay both know they're around the team every day. And Mark is like an MLB insider across the whole industry. So he knows. And, and so that got me kind of pumped up. And I know you're not trying to get excited about it, but it's not like I got, um, you know, some uh, who was the the guy last year about the Machado stuff? Um, Dan Clark. It's not like I have Dan Clark <laughs> telling me the Yankees are going to be active in free agency. It's Lindsay and Mark saying the Yankees have reached a realization that this is the window now. They need to they need to go out all out, and that gets me excited. And um, I hope it's Cole. If it's Strasburg, that's cool too. Um, so so that kind of excited me. And the other thing. Um, that got me feeling good is just that Mark was talking about when he talks to the other teams, how scared they are of the Yankees and, and the way they do things. So maybe the Yankees know a lot more than we do. I mean, I would say it's definite, especially the way we talked about DJ LeMahieu and Mike Talkman this off season. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. No, that's, that's indisputable. I mean, they're, they're analytical staff and um, I can't remember who mentioned it on the panel, but, that the staff is probably even bigger than what we think because they could be um, under like other job titles, but really do Contract assist. It. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, and, and, and they're probably exposed to other types of technology and ways to evaluate players that maybe we don't even know about. And that's how they're able to uh, unearth these hidden gems like, like Talkman and, um, and Gio Urshela. So no, you're, you're right. Um, if, I definitely will uh, will bite the bullet about my angst over not signing a guy like Machado last season because LeMahieu was put up uh, what turned out to be a 
top 10 in the MVP voting kind of season and then was just as fantastic in the postseason. I think more of the anger than even not getting Machado specifically was just like what this trend has kind of represented of late, which was an overall reluctance to make a big splash and, and be the Yankees and spend that kind of money. So then when someone comes up who is a clear bona fide superstar catapults you into World Series favorites like Garrett Cole, that's the time to spend the money. So until until it happens, as encouraging as the, the panel was listening to Lindsay and Mark, I I don't know. I'm just not willing to I'm not gonna be sold until I until I see the, the breaking news on Twitter that that the Yankees signed Cole is basically what I'm trying to say. Because last offseason was just too frustrating. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but, I don't know. It just it got me a little more hopeful than I was going in. So Yeah, that's fair. That's all you want. You just need hope. Just like, you know, the whole thing about Rogue One is just you want hope. So, yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> um, cool. Well, speaking of Lindsay, she just put up the uh, Yankees All-Decade team, part of the cool um, – all decade series that the athletic has been doing with everything pretty much. I mean, Jason Stark did the one about everyone across the league. No surprise. Mike Trout was number one should be by far. I don't even think it's, it's close, but um, I don't know. Do you want to, you want to go through this all decade team and see if you, I'm looking when, when we first started recording, I was looking at the position players and honestly, I feel like top to bottom, this is, I mean, this might be exactly what mine would be. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything really surprised me, probably because they used war. Uh, there's there's two things on there that actually were, were of interest to me. One is, did you see who had the best uh, fangraphs war for a pitcher, for a reliever, um, in the decade? I didn't look yet, but I'm going to guess it was Chad Green 2017. Incorrect. Oh, Dallin yeah. Batances 2014. Oh, okay. That's... 3.0 F4. I mean, and we had Mo for, you know, four years. 10, 11, 12, 13. Oh, well, not 12 because he got hurt. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah, that, that surprised me. Yeah, Chad Green 2017 is on there, but David Robertson 2011 is actually above him. Um, Michael Pineda's 2015 season makes the list, which that's is so which, which speaks to the decade. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but no, I, I thought the lineup was pretty much – well, not the lineup, but the positions is pretty much what you have. I mean, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you have Sanchez at catcher, who um, – your 2017 Mark, uh, Gary Sanchez. You have to share at first, Cano at second, Didi at short, and A-Rod at third. I'd say A-Rod's the only surprise there because I feel like you forget how good he was in 2010, 11, and 12. Um, I, I don't – I mean, if you think Russell Martin was better than Gary Sanchez, that's interesting. Um, and then the outfield, Gardner in left, Granderson in center, Judge in right, and Giancarlo Stanton at DH. Uh, you know, I don't think there's really anything surprising in this in this list. I mean, there's definitely some names that jump out, like Kevin Euclid was the starting first baseman in 2013 on opening day. Um, Brian Roberts in 2014. You know, there's, there's some you know there's some good throwbacks like that, but. Um, overall, I didn't, I didn't find it all that surprising. Yeah. Um, the only thing that surprised me, obviously, like we said, this list is going with, um, fan graphs war and 
to help determine this list. I was surprised that 2010 Brett Gardner is in left. I, I thought you could have easily picked this year's Brett Gardner because of his power spike. Um, I so, guess just against the the rest of the league because there was the power spike, it gets, yeah, you know but, what I mean, it gets normalized. Yeah, so that was, I think that was the only one where I was like, oh wow, that's that's interesting. I could have seen it going a different way, but I mean, 2017 Gary Sanchez, by far the the most valuable Yankee catcher of the, of the decade. 2012 Cano is probably one of the most productive players on this list. Uh, he is the most productive player. Oh, wait, nope. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm forgetting about 2017 Aaron Judge. Duh. Yeah. But yeah. Oh man. How about how about that outfield? Because you you also forget just how incredible 2011 Curtis Granderson was. And 2012, he had what 40 homers both years. Yep. I I still remember the last game of the season. I was there, and Granderson hit two, and he almost stole the triple crown from Miggy. I that wanted him to cool. get. Because he, he was one behind at that point. He would have had to share it. Um, I caught a typo in here. 2014 DH was not Rafael Soriano. It was Alfonso Soriano. Mm. But, oh, my God, when you look at the DHs, Nick Johnson, Jorge Posada, <laughs> Raul Abanez, here's a classic, Ben Francisco, Raf, uh, Alfonso Soriano, A-Rod, A-Rod, Matt Holliday, Giancarlo Stan, Luke Voigt. It got better as it went along, I guess, but that was that was a tough start to the decade. At DH, man, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the pitchers again, and obviously 2016 Tanaka was great, but imagine he stayed healthy in in 2014. Yeah, that was a pretty pretty intense, a pretty awesome start to uh, to his career, but then he had the UCL tear, which happens, and has somehow pitched through it ever since. And been perfectly fine. Yep. But yes. Interesting, by the way. The Yankees uh, of the decade that had the best uh, ERA for starters, CeCe Sabathia and Masahiro Tanaka, both of which got massive contracts. It's like you should do that. Yeah, again, I mean, Ellsbury's the outlier in that situation. Yeah, but like he's not even an outlier. It was just like that's one of those things you're like, I, I just have to delete this data point because whoever entered it made a mistake. Um, it was awful. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it was interesting. I don't know. That's it. That's all that's going on. We got Thanksgiving coming up. It's quiet. Um, you know, I wonder what it was like when Theo Epstein slept on Kurt Schilling's couch on Thanksgiving weekend. God knows something I would never, ever, ever want to do. God knows what sort of conspiracy theories Schilling was spewing at the time. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I I would want no part of it. Yeah, Um, I would. I don't want to sleep there either. Also, um, just continuing with the athletic all-decade stuff, which has all been a lot of fun, even outside of baseball. Um, But they also came out with the best games of the decade. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, yet. so the list starts with a Yankee game. It was unfortunately number twenty of the twenty game countdown is game six of this year. That was a I mean it wasn't a fun ending, but yeah, that's a classic game where you have a team, you know, back and forth battling and you know the LeMayhew home run is is such a great moment. But 
like the Rajay Davis home run, it just kind of gets lost. It's just in history. Yeah, and then um, it's the first two on this list. You don't get another Yankee game till eight on the list, but this one is certainly warranted. September twenty eighth, two thousand eleven. Yankees Rays, the long okay. walk off, which was still uh, probably the wildest and coolest night of baseball in the history of the sport. Yeah, when you figure out that you had four games going on that were that impactful, I wouldn't disagree. So the only two Yankee games on there are two Yankee losses. I believe I'm. Yeah, that's really it. Ups- really upset. Top game of the decade. I think it's a. Let's see if you can guess it, but it would it would have been my pick. Game seven, twenty sixteen. Yeah, that's fair. Yep. Um. But yeah, that's that's it. What What's number two? What would you, What's number two? Um. I closed out of it, but I think it was twenty fourteen. Game seven. See, I'd almost put Game six of twenty eleven World Series above that. That was such a great game. Maybe I mean, it the was. Cardinals went down to the last strike twice, or yeah. last out twice. That Hold was on. a good game. I just got. I just went back into it. I'll tell you. Oh, you're right. It, yeah, it was Game Six, 2011. Oh, I'm just saying that's why I pick. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know. Yeah, oh, there I were a lot of a lot choice. of. We saw a couple of seven game World Series this this decade, and you know we're we're pretty lucky. I mean, for everybody that says baseball's dying, I mean you had. 2011, 2016, 2015. I'm oh, sorry, 2014. 2014. Yeah. And then this year, and 2017. So you had four seven-game World Series or five. I'm I'm losing count, like Francesa. Um, and they were all really exciting seven-game series. It wasn't even yeah. like uh, some some seven-game series you get in the NBA. We're just like it's a blowout. You know what game I would have as one of the top ones? The um, and you don't have to open the list. I don't really care if it's on the list. But the Jose Bautista uh, bat javelin oh, yeah, throw game. Oh, yeah, it was on there. Yeah. I, I just with, – with what happens with the, the throw the inning or two innings, whatever the hell that was, uh, that was just such a fun, fun, exciting game to watch. And I remember just, you know, that's what makes baseball awesome. You get like these unforgettable moments and everything like that. And I don't know. For me, maybe it's because I'm not such a big fan, but I don't, I don't really – see that in in other sports like even you know in hockey you have a couple moments here and there but it's not like this whole game was back and forth and intense and stuff like that and i don't know i feel like in football when you have crazy games like that it's just like whoever gets the ball last is probably going to win is sort of your thinking going into it yeah that's that's definitely uh, unless, unless, like you, unless you throw the ball on uh you know second and one in the super bowl <laughs> <sighs> anyway that cost me a lot of money. That won me a lot of money. <laughs> I was so excited. I was jumping up and down. But anyway. So, Thanksgiving's this week. What uh, what Yankee things are you thankful for? Um, I'm thankful that Glaber Torres is only 20. What is he? Is he 23 now? Because I know he, he might. He I might know he be. was about to turn. But I'm, I'm thankful Glaber Torres is only about to be or just turned 23 years old. Because he is, well, uh, we got you got a couple weeks. He turns twenty three December thirteenth. All right. Well, I'm thankful that we have one of the young, youngest, most bona fide superstars in the game. He's so much fun to watch. That would be my first thing I'm thankful for. Cool. 
That's that's a good one. Um, you know what I'm also thankful for is that we're talking about the decade, and you know Yankee fans would consider it a pretty big failure because there weren't any World Series. I'm pretty thankful that this kind of decade is considered a a colossal failure among many because it just shows you how competitive the team always is. I mean, can you imagine like? I think of like Meg Rowley at the Fangraphs panel. Like, imagine growing up a Mariners fan. The decade consists of no playoff appearances. The Yankees we got to see in what three ALCS this decade and postseason appearances and every year except two. I mean, there was still plenty of of great moments. So yeah. for that to be considered failing, I'm pretty thankful that that's uh, that that's the bar. Yeah, I mean. They four ALCS appearances, right? Ten, twelve. Oh yeah, ten. Yeah, of course. And, the awesome yeah. comeback in game one. Yeah, um, but I mean, when you think about the decade as a whole, though, the worst year is probably 2013. I would say maybe 2014. I know it was Jeter's last year, and you have the unbelievable walk off. But I think the 2014 team was more disappointing because. Yeah, 2013, you had all the injuries that had cropped up, and the team was older. But they also still fought at the end. I remember that that series they had against the Red Sox where A-Rod hits the home run, and and after they got Soriano, it really felt like they were making a run, and they did push Boston into September. Um, But the 2014 team just lacked a lot of life. And like at least in 2013, you got that little jolt um, right after the Soriano trade that that got you excited. But – yeah, I mean, I, and I still think none of the teams were eliminated with more than a week to play. I could be making that up, but I, I mean, even in 2016, you know, they, they stayed alive when Deshera hits the walk-off Grand Slam against Boston, which ruins their clinching party, which was yeah. great. I and mean, you had, it was, you had Gary that year, too. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, 2016, even, even if they had been eliminated with two weeks left, it was so exciting because you had Gary – um, break onto the scene, even though he struggled. The, the judge in Austin home runs was just such a, a signifying moment of the changing of the guard and um, and what was a signal of what was to come. And they arrived really early in 2017. What was your favorite year of the decade? 2017, I don't even think it's close. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I'd probably put 2019 tied with 2012. I, I had a lot of fun in 2012. It's pretty easy to forget just how wild 2012 was, like even down the stretch of the regular season, holding off Baltimore, and then obviously an epic ALDS between the two. Yep, yep, that was a a good series, and then they just kind of floundered against Detroit, but whatever. Jeter broke his ankle, and that, that was all she wrote. So, yeah, that's it. So what am I thankful for? I'm just thankful for the Greg Bird home run against Andrew Miller. Just, just leave it at that. No, I'm, I'm, um, I mean, I'll probably say, you know what I'll say I'm thankful for? Postseason Tanaka. That's a good one. Was so much fun to watch, and I love watching a pitcher just go to work that's not super overpowering and just crafty. And and in the postseason, Tanaka just stifles people. And it's it's awesome. So I'll say po- I'm thankful for postseason Tanaka. Yeah, no, that's a great one. There is definitely something really endearing about a pitcher who's not just blowing people away, but like you said, is 
crafty and, and just seems to shut down top offenses in the most intense spots of the season, which Tanaka has done his whole career. And it's fun to watch, especially because he he gets emotional and he gets pumped up on the mound after a, a big third out or, or something. Mm-hmm. You can definitely tell how much how much he wants it. And, I oh, man, I really want him to win a World Series. So they yeah, should get Cole. The, the, post, <laughs> the post-game pic- picture will just be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and tweet from, from Tanaka. It will just be amazing. So that's that's a good one. And, yeah, that's a, I guess. Um, all right, let me ask you a decade question. You got to throw out one game, the 2017 wild card game, or Jeter's last home game with the walk off. You have to have not been at one of them. Take which one you eliminate and you watched from home. Probably the wild card game. Gotcha. Yeah, Jeter's last game transcended baseball. Yeah. I was it. I I poked my nose into a bit of a Twitter argument. I think it was Sunday night about Cheater's defense. Um, which which just, isn't good. I mean, but it's, well, it's fine to admit that. Okay, like, so yeah, that's so yeah, people were saying that, you know, you can't judge a player you've never seen by the numbers and Jeter wasn't that bad and blah 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 and I'd like to see somebody that actually watched him play his whole career. And although I was 8 years old in 96, I probably started watching at least 100 games a year in 97, so I think I'm, I'm qualified to have seen his whole career, quote unquote. And I said, like, as you, as he got older, you noticed he really couldn't go to his left that well. But if you're judging Jeter by his range and statistics, there's a couple things you need to keep in account. One, they really didn't start tracking this until what? Oh, six, Oh seven is when they really started doing a lot of the tracking and stuff like this. So you're missing a lot of his twenties, which is when people are more athletic. And also, um, if you're judging Jeter by that, you're, you're missing the point of Jeter. It's the captain, the heads up stuff, you know, the, the unconventional things is what made him so exciting. Like the jump throw, like the flip play, like the relay throw to get Timo Perez out in the world series. And just because he doesn't have the greatest range, doesn't discount all of that other stuff. So there's like a balance there. And I feel like everybody feels like they have to take one side or the other, and there's nobody that can meet in the middle. But since Jeter is like your boy, um, I mean, I think Tio Martinez should be a you know unanimous Hall of Famer. I'm I'm pretty biased, but you know since you're a little less biased than me, what do you what do you think about the whole Jeter defense debate? I think it's warranted. I think for a large part of his career, he was not valuable in the field. But like you said, I I think um, you know watching a hundred games a year of Jeter from probably like '98 or something like that. I would say. Um, you definitely it was definitely glaring his um awareness in the field and how much he used that to kind of mask just how deficient he could be at times with his range and with his bad range maybe we don't get the flip throw <laughs> you know like maybe he just gets to that ball and, it, and the play seems more routine or the uh or the grounder up the middle in the 98 world series where he made that crazy mm-hmm. like contorting his body to um make that ground out what was that game three yeah i think so i know it was in san diego yeah so like maybe that Came play looks way, san diego. maybe that looks way more routine but I, I don't know it's it's just it's just silly to me 
Like, I think it's kind of universally known that Jeter wasn't that great a defender. But he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So, like, it's just, it's as simple as that. I don't know why it's uh, turned into such a, a spirited argument. I guess it's just because there's people that are just clinging, like you said, clinging so hard to each side. And for me, who's, you know, I don't know, we're talking about my favorite baseball player of all time. I can easily say, like, yeah, he wasn't a great defender. He's still a Hall of Famer. And just leave it at that. I find it funny that people started trashing Jeter's defense after Tino left. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Actually, I, I was looking at um, at Jeter's um, baseball reference page, and he had some amazing, amazing years. Like, oh, nine. I mean, 99 is just insane. Yeah, and 2006. Um, yeah, and 06, where he got robbed of the MVP. But... I mean, even on his offensive numbers alone, he, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So I, I don't understand the the need. Like, there's plenty of things that you could kind of jump on Jeter for that he's done post-career um, as an owner of the Marlins. But his defense is not something you need to, like, take a huge stand about. He was a subpar shortstop in terms of range, but did a lot of great things out there. And, um, you know, for what? 14 years of his career or 13 years of his career, he was an elite offensive player at a position that doesn't always have that. I know they had the the beginning of the nineties where that was, you know, or the end of the nineties where you had all the great shortstops, but it's interesting. But anyway, um, in seasons where they played at least 50 games, uh, who had more years of negative wins above replacement, Tito or Jeter? I mean, probably Jeter, but he had way more seasons where he was on on the field. Yeah, Jeter. That's so. Jeter. Jeter was more of a negative contributor than Tino. <laughs> just, just you know. So, so the Hall of Fame committee gets that down. Yeah. Um, no, that was only Jeter's ninety-five season. Where I was surprised. I think he played like fifty-one games. I saw or appeared I in it that. Was just fifteen. Uh, maybe I'm making it up. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's played appearances that I was thinking of. Yeah, that. Could yeah, be it up. must be played appearances. So it was fifteen games, right? Yeah, something like that. And then um, then 2013, where he played like through the broken ankle and, and all that stuff. But yeah, that was it. But anyway, I just, just busting your chops. That's it. Jeter should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't care if he's unanimous or not, because I no, I don't, don't, I don't care either. People. But can, can we also, real quick before we wrap up, say that it's also, can we please stop with the just Jeter ballots? And oh yeah, that's awful. I mean, why is it Larry him? Walker a Hall of Famer? I know uh, that 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 really bothered me. Like, I can't wait to see Jeter enshrined into the Hall of Fame. But man, he should be enshrined alongside people who that are on this ballot and have probably more Hall of Fame credentials than him. <laughs> how like how do you vote just Jeter when there when Larry Walker's on the ballot, when Barry Bonds is on the ballot, Roger Clemens like the it's I don't know. It's insane, and, and to, to just do it in a way to like honor somebody at the expense of other people who are trying to be enshrined in the highest level of baseball acknowledgement, like that's 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 just bad. Yeah. Don't do that. I mean, Larry's only on four four out of seven ballots so far. It's insane. Yeah, that's absurd. It's his last year. Uh, I don't know. The anyway. pe- people people knock down the credentials of guys that played in Colorado way too much. 
they put a baseball team there. What else? You know what I mean? Like, what else can you do? Yeah. Uh, move the team if you're not going to put anybody <laughs> in the Hall of Fame as long as they play. It's insane. And Larry Walker was just as good away as he was at home. Yeah, that's the now. crazy part. Ah, uh, anyway, so I'm getting upset about the Hall of Fame. You know, it's you know it's boring off season so I far. Yep. But I, I mean, I, you know, I shouldn't say that because Atlanta and, and White Sox have have done things. So I, hopefully that'll spark the market to go off a little earlier, at least with the uh, non elite guys, which is always interesting to see where where guys wind up, and then then you forget about it, and then you know the the White Sox are coming into Yankee Stadium, and you're like, oh, I forgot they had this guy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So that's it. What are you looking forward to this week? Uh, I guess just coming home for the weekend. Got to work on Thanksgiving and cover all the rivalry football games up here. But then I'll be coming down right after, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, yeah, excited for a nice weekend away. and A three-game set. Yep, yep. Cool. Yeah, what about you? Oh, since you didn't take it, I'm taking uh, Mandalorian. Nice, yeah. Um, I started rewatching all of the Star Wars movies in preparation for that, and um, I made it through Ret- uh, um, Revenge of the Sith last night. So now pretty much the rest of the movies I enjoy. Because even though a lot of people like Revenge of the Sith, I am not one of them. I I, th- I am one of them, admittedly. I liked Revenge of the Sith. I have to push myself to get through Attack of the Clones. Attack like, of Clones is the worst one. Phantom Menace is an overall subpar movie, but at least it still has like the Darth Maul fight with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. So like there's still there's still moments you can look forward to in that movie. Attack of the Clones was just an all-around terrible movie if you ask me. But I, I liked Revenge of the Sith. It I don't have to it doesn't take effort for me to get get through that one. Except when like Hayden Christensen talks too much. What have I done? He goes from <laughs> he goes from like what have I done, like crying to I will do anything you ask in under thirty seconds. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean the you know the last lightsaber fight is a very good one. Yeah, that's great. although he didn't like Obi Wan didn't have to say I have the high ground. No, he kind of so, yeah. He, he kinda yeah, I mean like they've been jumping over each other the whole time. What's <laughs> the difference of five feet in elevation? He was trolling him. He was like, I'm going to tell you the reason that you're going to be defeated and it's still mm-hmm. going to happen. It was a good troll. Yeah, it was uh, It was interesting for sure. And, uh, no, of course. That part sucks. That's the worst part of the movie. I haven't watched the 4K ones on Disney. Did they, have you yet? No, I was, I was going to start today. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see if they left the, that no in, in Return of the Jedi. Um, oh yeah we'll see so anyway that's all i got yeah me too well um happy happy thanksgiving to everybody hope it's um filled with good food and followed up by some good hot stove nuggets so we actually have some things to talk about that is not um Nestor Cortez being traded and things that are that minor, but um, I'm gonna miss Nestor. <laughs> no, me too. He was a fun. He was a fun pitcher. The outcome wasn't didn't always reflect that, but um, it was fun watching you pitch, Nestor. And it was uh, and it was fun talking here, re- reminiscing about the decade and and Jeter's Hall of Fame candidacy. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.